0: Welcome to TrackCast, the Real Estate Council's official podcast, coming at you from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for joining us. We're back with another CRE Executive Roundtable as our experts from around the region talk about the state of the hotel and co-working sectors and prognosticate the rate at which companies will continue to look at DFW as a prime destination for relocation. I'd like to thank all the executives who joined the discussion, particularly Dave Johnson of Ambridge Hospitality, who provided our hotel update, Tom Sutherland of Cushman and Wakefield, who spoke to us about the co-working industry, and Mike Rosa from the Dallas Regional Chamber, who led our discussion on relocation. As always, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app if you're joining us for the first time, and follow Trek on social media so you never miss an episode or update. Now, here's our executive roundtable on hotels, co-working and relocation right here on trackcast
1: okay let's get started um, Dave uh, we're gonna start with hotels uh, I think we're lucky to have Dave Johnson because he kind of gives largest hotel management company in the in the in the country Dave just give us a background on on the company and kind of what you're seeing and what you think's coming and then we'll open it up to questions
2: sure bill thanks uh, good morning to everybody and thanks for having me. Uh, Bill, a great intro. You know, aimbridge we, we started it about uh, 17 years ago, a little over 17 years ago, and I uh, appreciate the shout-out to Harlan Crow. Harlan actually uh, bankrolled me to start the company out of, out of his, not, not his fund, but his family office. So uh, I have been a Trammell Grow guy prior to that, uh, you know, fortunately here in Dallas. Okay. But uh, we, we've grown to about 1,400 hotels that we operate in uh, in approximately 20 countries, uh, primarily United States, about 1,000 of our 1,400. Uh, we currently operate up and down the scale chain, everything from luxury hotels and resorts like the Windsor Court in New Orleans or the Carnero Sand and Napa, five-star properties. Uh, we also operate full-service hotels. That's kind of our uh, our bread and butter, Marriott's, Hilton's, Hyatt's, Weston's, etc. We operate also in the premium select service, you know, and extended stay, you know, courtyards, residence inns, Hilton Garden inns. Uh, we also have a, a pretty thriving resort business that's both onshore and offshore. We've got quite a few dots on the map in the Caribbean, uh, so we do all-inclusive and inclusive. Uh, in addition to that, we uh, we own a company out in Southern California called Evolution Hospital- Hospitality. We really specialize in, you know, boutique lifestyle uh, independent hotels, uh, and it's we own our own digital marketing agency. Right now, uh, you know, to Bill's point, we're the largest by a factor of about seven. Uh, and in this crisis right now, we're finding out that scale really matters. Uh, there's lots of third-party management companies, but in, in our world, people don't necessarily understand that there's, there's really three prongs of the stool. There's the hotel owner, there's the hotel operator, such as Ambridge, and then there's the hotel brand. You know, a lot of consumers think that if, if it shows a Marriott flag, Marriott owns it and runs it. Uh, that might have been true 35, 40 years ago, but right now, majority of hotels are franchised to a third-party operator like, like ourselves. Uh, the, uh, what we're seeing uh, is obviously it was uh, an extreme crisis. I've, I've led a company through 9/11, led a company through the Great Recession and uh, they, they, they're nothing close to what we're experiencing now. you know we closed of our 1,400 hotels. we probably closed about 275 at peak. We since have opened about 40 or 50 additional hotels. Uh, and when you look at the the facets of demand for us, it's really it's really three pockets of demand. You've got your leisure customer, you've got the business traveler, uh, and you've got group and convention business. Uh, in that order, we're seeing the recovery right now. We're starting to see recoveries. It obviously varies by state and locale, uh, and and actually Texas is leading the way down on the coast. We've got about uh, seven assets that are in Corpus, uh, seven and in, in Corpus, Galveston, and South Padre. Uh, The last three weeks, we've sold out the hotels on Friday and Saturday night. Not necessarily during the week, but uh, really excited about that. Uh, The the biggest difficulty to social distancing is the elevator. So we're just having somebody monitor that elevator. But uh, once the governor here in Texas lifted the restrictions, uh, we're seeing really increased occupancy. I think people just wanted to get out of their house. They feel comfortable about social distancing on a beach. Uh, We removed half the pool furniture so people can social distance there. Seeing some pockets in Atlanta, but really any drive-to leisure market, places like we operate in Sedona, Colorado. Uh, we still have an open Napa. There's a lot of pent-up demand, but uh, you know I don't think California wants the economy to reopen out there for for a lot of reasons. But uh, we're we're doing well technically, legally. We're not supposed to house anybody in a California hotel. We operate over 90 hotels in California, so it's a big market for us, uh, unless it's COVID-related. It's really a, it's a little bit frustrating from that perspective. Places like Myrtle Beach, South Florida, the panhandle of Florida, with the, where we're seeing leisure come back really quicker than we thought. Mm-hmm. You know, some stats that are uh, encouraging, but it's a catch-22 is we've had seven consecutive weeks of uh, increasing occupancies. But, you know, when you, we started at a base of single-digit occupancies when we are used to 70s and, and, and 80s. Uh, now we've, we've basically gotten to about a 30% occupancy rate in our hotels across the country. So it's one of those, you're, you're encouraged because you've had second, second weeks, but obviously still we've got a big, big hole to climb out of. Uh, I would say that, uh, you know, Ray Hunt once said, if in a crisis, if you're only playing uh, defense, you're missing a great opportunity. Uh, I've, I've always cherished that line. And so we're, we're in a position right now, we've got great uh, partners in Advent International out of Boston. They've got about 80 billion AUM. Uh, they're our largest partner and shareholder. Uh, They're in a position to be able to play offense along with us. We've got a strong balance sheet. So we continue to play defense because, you know, uh, there's so many prognosticators when we're going to get back to 2019 levels in our space. And I would tell you that uh, you can find everything from 2021 to to 2025. Uh, I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, And the wild card this time around is, is science. You know if we do find a vaccine, I think people get back to Vegas and Disney and basketball games and football games very quickly, uh, and they get comfortable getting on airplanes and whatnot. But until we have some kind of therapeutic, you know, better data, uh, more recoveries or, or, you know, God willing a vaccine, I think we get to a place where it's really well. But right now, business travel in any type of group or meetings travel is, is really little, little to none. It's only the, the tertiary markets where it's lower end drive to. You know, extended stay America of the brands is still running occupancy in the 60s. But, you know, it's a lot of truck drivers, you know, uh, you know, transportation workers, et cetera, that move across the country. But anything, you know, city center, high end, uh, you're still running. You know, we we operate the Statler downtown Dallas. We've got a lot of healthcare care workers. So we're, at, we're actually uh, we extended a $30 rate. To, to just be, you know, originally we gave free rooms and now it's $30. So we're still running occupancies in the 70s, but obviously not making very much money because of the of the low rate, but, but feel good about what we're doing. So, uh, you know, I think as Texas continues to open, we'll, we'll do well. But anything big, city center, group oriented, it's just going to be very, very difficult.
3: So with that, Bill, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Anybody from the group have any questions today?
0: Dave,
3: you know, when do you see large groups?
4: I mean, you, you think it's going to be twenty 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 three twenty twenty four on the groups because so many are getting canceled for this year? But
2: yeah, great the, the good news is a great question. The, the the good news is everybody that's canceling is I'd say probably eighty five percent of our customers are not necessarily canceling; they're postponing. So if they had something in third quarter; they're trying to push it to the fourth quarter. If they have something in the fourth quarter, and they're nervous; they're pushing it to the first quarter. Uh, and, and then, uh, you know, you're, you're going to see, it's going to be interesting to watch because, uh, Vegas opens Friday, you know, so they're reopening with social distancing. So I'm really wanting to watch, see what happens in Vegas and then both Disney and Universal are going to start opening their parks. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens there, but as it relates to, I think a lot of it's going to have to do with large fortune 500 corporations are going to say, how much risk do we want to take telling our folks it's okay. Cause I can tell you, there's a lot of, there's a lot of business travelers that work for fortune 100 companies. They want to get on a plane now, but their company's holding them back. They want to hold meetings now. And uh, it's ironic. I don't know about you guys. I, I'm so sick of Zoom and uh, conference <laughs> calls. I, I want to yak. I come in every day, and all I do is sit in front of my computer. <laughs> and, uh, it, and it's, it, nothing, nothing beats face-to-face communication. And I, I would say, Ray, I think, uh, I think you'll start with small meetings, and I think it'll be in, in secondary cities, smaller meetings, et cetera. But the big five thousand people convention in, in Vegas, we're, we're a ways off on that. So uh, you know it's 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 going to be interesting to watch. Uh, I think that we're going to have a lot of carnage in our space. Uh, I've got equity. I've got equity calling me that that is not traditional equity. They're real estate equity, but pr- traditionally have not invested in hospitality. And they're pushing you know family offices and PE funds that are starting to push a lot of money that want to take advantage of this. And I, honestly, everybody got about a. 90-day haul pass here with the with, with the CARES Act and you know the PPP loans. Uh, a lot of these smaller owners that aren't well capitalized, and their their lenders have given them. If it's not CMBS, their lenders have given them a little bit of a holiday on, you know, forbearance, etc. But what we're seeing right now is the CMBS market, which is a large lender to the hospitality business. It's just blowing up, absolutely blowing up. I talked to a lot of the debt funds out there; they're sitting on billions of dollars of hotel loans. They're going to start, I think, third and then fourth quarter. They're going to start picking winners and losers. And uh, I think you're going to see some real opportunity. But back to your specific question, the only wild card I would tell you, Ray, is science. You know, if we start to get some of the science, uh, you know, there's 110 vaccines under trials right now. Uh, you know, Gates is the largest contributor to vaccines. And uh, I, read a, I read a really an op-ed from him last week that said there's, you know, he didn't think, he said normally it's five years to, to find a vaccine. You know, the, the CDC, you know, the FDA, pharma, big pharma, and, and, and uh, researchers came together and said 18-month timeline that started ticking in January of this year. Uh, he, was, he was pessimistic they could hit, hit that three months ago. Now he's saying that he's optimistic that we'll beat that 18-month deadline, and some of the same, you know, scientists back then, 90 days ago, and I was saying, you know, with what we've done, there's 10 or 12 that are highly encouraging so if you know if we were you know god willing to get something in, uh, you know by the end of the year or first quarter next year i think that that you know really encourages a lot of folks to just gotta get back to business as usual all this all this malarkey about you know people aren't going to travel again we're going to start you know we're going to start officing from home it's the same thing they said after 911 you know they said all those these they said new york will never be the same it'll be a shell of what it used to be You know, and and, and the reality is is that nothing beats face-to-face communication and interaction. uh, We're human beings. I think we thrive for it. But the reality, we need everybody to feel safe, too.
1: Dave, is most of the stress in high-end or low-end, or is it all all across the board? Uh, It's going to be all across the board. Uh, Bill,
2: we're raising hundreds of millions of dollars to go after it. It's a little too early yet. Uh, I think it'll start with the junk the smaller stuff that's really financed in CMBS because those sponsors, you know, they, they don't have the wherewithal to hang. And I think they've seen this PPP 90 day, you know, kind of lifeline, but they looked at it as, are we going to, will we snap back in the, in the third or fourth quarter? So I was going to give me, and I don't think anybody believes there's going to be any kind of snapback. The only snapback that I would see as a hockey stick is if we find a vaccine. Then I think once everybody gets vaccinated, they're like, Hey, I can't wait to go on vacation. Now do I think they're going to jump on a plane and go to Europe? no i think they're going to go to the caribbean and hawaii and california and florida you know colorado those types of places but uh also business travel i think will rebound dramatically if there's a vaccine companies will feel comfortable putting people back to work uh, you know but that's a big if but to the opportunity bill it usually starts with the smaller lower end stuff because it's not well capitalized and they overlevered it in the first place but there's uh there's a special servicers uh and again we're so reliant on CMBS debt. They told me that the number of calls in January, February, <clears throat> excuse me, January, February averaged about five a week looking for relief. And uh, in March, April and May, they're getting they're feeling over 200 calls a week and hospitality, CMBS debt in the, in the United States right now. It's about five billion dollars and they're expecting at least 75 percent of those to,
3: to be in trouble.
4: Hey, uh, a, a number of us have projects on the drawing board to start fourth quarter or first part of next year for hotels what, what are you hearing about just overall development not things that are already started but starting is everyone just shelving stuff for now or, or are people still pushing ahead
2: you know i think it's a good question i, I, Ray, I think it depends on the asset type you know and location if you're building a big city center hotel i'd shelve it for example we bought we're actually in the gp and the lp we bought the rio and vegas Uh, We closed on a December of last year, 2,500 rooms, over a half a billion dollars. We, uh, some, you know, a lot of times it's better to be lucky than good because uh, we didn't want the World Series of Poker. And so we, uh, you know, they want, they had an agreement. So Caesars leased it back from us for two years. And uh, so we're clipping a $45 million a year rent payment now in 2020 and 21 with an option on 22. So, you know, it's like we're playing with the house's money per se but uh you know everything else in vegas is shut down so if i was about ready to break ground on a thousand room convention hotel i'd probably slow play it we have a resort uh, frenchman's reef with a public reef, diamond rock in the caribbean it's going to take them about 150 million dollars to finish it because it got hit hard by the hurricane but it's going to be one of the most iconic resorts in st thomas in the caribbean i mean really in the caribbean beautiful asset and uh they, they are obviously preserving liquidity. They don't want to, they, they just basically want to shut down the construction. And I told them, you know, Leisure is going to come back the fastest. So we actually married them to a family office that's given them kind of a pref loan. And, you know, because they're a public REIT, they actually would like to buy them out. They just are kind of looking to preserve liquidity. So we've exchanged term sheets. It's a, it's a good friend of mine on the family office side. And the CEO at Nyman Rock's a good guy. So, but if it's something that's already financed, Ray, and it's under construction and broken ground, or if it's something that, that I would say is, is more, uh, so, you know, select service type asset, extended stay. Uh, and, and bottom line is with developers, if it's been financed, uh, they want to go through with it because developers want to get paid.
3: <laughs> no, no, no shot at you there, Bill. <laughs> You're right about that. Any other questions to Dave? Dave, I really appreciate you getting on the call, man. I mean, you're welcome to sit around and listen. I know you're a busy man, but I really appreciate you. You bet, and good morning to you, Lucy. Okay, Tom, um, i got Tom Sullivan coming on. Tom, give him a little bit of your background and and uh, overall what you're gonna cover. And You're muted. I'm just saying, Bill. Can you can you stay close to the microphone when you're speaking, Bill? Because I want everybody to hear you. Okay, got it. Tom, I don't know if you heard me, but you're up, and you're. Uh, I can see on the screen you're muted. How
1: about that, am I right? You're perfect now. Okay, thank you, Bill. And your 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 camera is not on. That's fine, but it's it's not. We'd love to see your beautiful
5: face. And yeah, I even here. showered this morning. I took off the right. baseball cap and went and got a shower. Might be in your jammies. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Tom Sutherland with uh, Cushman and Wakefield. Um, Bill asked me to talk about co working, um, just a little bit of background. Uh, in 2015, when I sold my firm, uh, Case Commercial Real Estate Partners, to Colliers, uh not long after getting to calllier, I was introduced to the coworking industry. I had a young man join my team, Ryan hoops, and uh, we were in boston and uh on uh at a meeting and he wanted to show me uh, a WeWork location and <coughs> me to work. Um, having done some in my past done some flexible workspace stuff with uh Regis and other executive suites, I was really um amazed at the co-working uh, way of doing flexible workspace. But what really drove my interest in it is having done for now 30 years corporate work, doing a lot of portfolio work. I really felt since the uh, last financial crisis in 2007, 2008, I had seen for the first time a fundamental change in our national accounts, not wanting to do longer term leases as much. Uh, World... Economy had just brought on so much rapid change, and the idea of having flexibility was being driven harder than I've ever seen it. So, Ryan and I built a team to specialize in flexible workspace. And we, for 16 and 17, we probably visited with, met with 75 different operators, including WeWork and Industrious and all the, the big brands. And uh, Over the course of of that time, we probably represented 11 or 12 different flexible workspace operators. Uh, We're now at Cushman. We left Collier's. We have a five-person team. We still do predominantly corporate portfolio work, what we call broker-led portfolio work. But uh, we also do a lot of co-working. We're primarily focused with one client right now, VentureX. They've asked us to do that. We still have a few others that we represent. Uh, Venturex is the fastest-growing co-working brand in the industry, uh, and they're doing that really because their their capital growth is through sort of the franchise model. Um, prior to COVID, we were working on thirty-five, almost forty transactions for Venturex worldwide uh, throughout North America. Um, we we're in London, um, Australia, uh, Mexico City uh costa rica and let's else in south america so um with with covid uh the coronavirus a lot of our work has slowed down um we're still working several transactions we've got two in the leases right now we've got i don't know eight or nine we're working through letters of intent and, and uh most of the reason ours slowed down has really been one of two things it's been A lot of landlords that we've been negotiating with wanting to hit the pause button and figure out where co-working Flexible Space is going. And conversely, we've got a lot of our investors, franchisees, who want to hit it on pause to see where the office market's going and see if they can get a much better deal on on rental rates. And so, um, some of those were still kind of finessing along. um, And uh, that's kind of what, what we do. So I'll, I'll open up for any questions anybody wants to talk about co-working plus work. So, so hey,
1: Tom, so are you saying that of the 35 deals, nine are still working?:
3: um, More than nine.
5: We have We have two in the leases, and I would say we have nine to ten letters of intent, and then we're still working other ones. It's just kind of a lot slower.
1: Okay, and so are you seeing landlords backing up more than the operator? I would say the operator's got to be having a lot of stress in whatever units open, right?
5: Well, you know, I would say, no, I would say, honestly, for us, it's more the operators backing out uh, right now, wanting to put it on hold. Uh, I, I mean, we always have – look, it's very unique for us or for me and my, my business background that one of the things we know when we go into a market and we get a new franchisee – there's gonna be twenty percent of landlords, developers that don't want to do co-work, So we try to call that out real quick. And and then and then only focus on getting in negotiations with those that want it in their building. And um, so so that hasn't changed. Most of those have wanted it in their building still, but but some have put it on pause to say, let's shake this out. We hear of all this horrible stuff going on with WeWork, which by the way has nothing to do with the demand. We work troubles. Is solely based on their capital structure uh, and their rapid growth, trying to be a technology company. But the demand uh, for co working has not changed. It has temporarily because people can't go to work.
1: So, do you see them re uh,
5: reevaluate
1: and how they lay out co working, or is it going to be? Are they just doing it a t- on a temporary basis and business as usual? What What's their view on that?
3: I mean, yeah.
5: well, all of ours that are. Currently open, and, and out of our 20 locations that have been open for two years or more in North America, my last report was that we were at 72 percent portfolio-wide occupancy, number. Uh, and not we haven't defaulted on any leases yet. Um, the and so for those existing ones, there there really hasn't been much change to their current design. Because frankly, a lot of people aren't coming in because they're working from home. So it hasn't really been a need. All of our new ones that are in, in the development program uh, are looking at, at, at doing their design a little bit different. One of the things about VentureX that was different than some of the competitors is we were never big users of open space. Uh, most all of ours is private office. Now we'll have you know four people, six people in a private office. And in those situations, they're looking to put plexiglass in between those cubes. But but the bench seating open that that really has been going out of the industry for many years. That was something that we work started early on in its takeoff when it was having ping pong tables and beer and you know uh, uh, a different crowd that we don't see that much anymore. It's never been a very successful market segment.
6: So. Tom, can I ask a follow-up question to Bill's question? This is Mike yeah. Ablin, How are you? Good. Um, so when Steve Lieberman or Alan Shore were talking about retail, they were talking about what they thought were kind of some of the more long-term, kind of not just design shifts, but business shifts. Rand uh, Holman was talking a while back about um, not just the layout in the offices, but some differences. You just talked about their more closed office and maybe putting up some plexi, but in a broader scale, have you seen any movements to longer, not just a trend, but a paradigm shift of? Not just putting up some plexi, but some bigger changes to the business model also. Can you talk about that a little more? Well are you, you referencing the business model
5: for co-working or just for our office tenants?
6: you you're the for, for co-working. You're 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 the expert on the phone, on the call on, on the co-working and the trend lines, not just shared versus private plexi, but is there anything broader that you can add to the conversation that you think you'll even if you're just sniffing it, you think it will stay in place?
5: Well, Mike, you know, man, it's just such a, we get this question every single day numerous times. And, you know, I, 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 the reason I reference office work is because it's, it's, co-working is just another segment of office work. It's, it's it, and so I don't know that we'll ever be much different than every other general office user. If you look at 18Ts, their new headquarters, they were extremely dense. They looked like co-working. It was all glass walls. Their, their CEO was sitting in a small office in a glass wall. They had multiple people in offices. So I, I, when I look at it too, because we still do a lot of corporate work, I haven't seen anybody decide to make long-term changes to their design yet. And I don't know how you can do that two months, three months into this pandemic. I don't know if anybody really knows. Bill and I have talked about it. I hate the term, the new norm. Um, who knows what the new norm is two or three months into this pandemic, which is a once in a 100 year event. Um, so I, I find it, my other again, I'm going to get off a little philosophically, but it applies to co-working and office space. The struggle I have, and I don't see how people connect the dots, there's a lot in Cushman, we're opening up our offices officially Thursday. There's all this focus on safety at the office place and what we're going to do to design and what are we going to do to de-densify our space. And, And I can see that short term, but unless we change our entire culture, does it really matter? We're still going to get on airplanes. We're still going to go to movie theaters. We're still going to go to the basketball games or football games right after work. There are still people going to ride subways and and, and mass transit to work. So does it really make sense to permanently change and de-densify our our office space? we just got a study back from, from, from Cushman. We've had some great thought leaders, and they did this thing called the uh, uh, experience by square foot thing and, and have over 4 million data points from 50,000 respondents about what was doing pre-COVID and what was working post-COVID. And the thing we're seeing the most of is, is what's driving out of this, which I think is a pro to co-working, is the workplace is evolving into an ecosystem. It's basically going to be three areas. There's going to be working in the office, working from home, and working in a third-party place. And, and I think that's going to drive, continue to drive more
3: stuff forward. From a design... Um,
5: we're, we're, I mean, right now, I, I guess I'm, we do, in some of ours, limit the desk. You know, we'll, 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 we'll cross out a desk. So you're not. You can't sit side by side. But, but that's because, two other buyers coming in.
3: You know, I, I, there's a lot of uh, office building owners, Lucy and,
1: and Craig. And uh, I don't have anybody in my portfolio that is doing a restack of existing space. And we've got a couple of building suits going. And there hasn't been any consideration for redesign. Lucy, do you, do you have anybody? or any volume of people be looking at how they're going to use their space?
7: Um, we haven't seen anyone fall into action. And right. yet, yes, you know, the architectural firms are out there with a lot of advice and good thinking. And on our own account, um, well, I can give you a snippet. So we're bringing everybody back to the office. You know, I'm sick of this stuff. And um, instantly, uh, Henry, my husband, comes down with COVID. Well, that sort of makes me look a little ridiculous. So we're all back home again, um, and yet we're we're going to get on back there really quickly. And we're now thinking, well, maybe the accounting department could stay home because the culture of the company has got to be held together. In fact, we have got to go re-energize and reignite the culture of the company. People are getting a little lethargic in this. Uh, environment that we're in, and we're losing a lot of our energy and synergy and creativity. So I think that you may not change your layout right now, but people will continue to do things very differently for the next, say, six months. And um, certainly major corporations that have got, you know, they are publicly held at all, will have to do things differently Uh, In the end, they'll have to have different procedures, just as we've all done in our buildings and the standards we've set for the
1: health of the building.
3: Craig, do you see anybody in your buildings restacking or doing anything dramatic yet? You're on mute. I wouldn't say that I've seen it yet, but I I actually do think we will see it. Yeah, we're
5: we're in some conversations. I I think uh, uh, there may be. Which is a good trend for us. If it happens, there may be more uh, square foot per person and kind of a,
3: a redensification and a or dedensification. Uh, at least that's some hope. Hey, Bill. This is Jason. Um,
8: yeah, at and with Barry now. So as we we've been de- redesigning some of our client spaces that we've already put in, um, and we're going through some conversions right now that are looking at. Simplifying and just kind of de-densifying. so we are we are doing that for some clients and there have been there have been requests for it, and we had some clients that were looking at Verispace that have actually tweaked the designs current tenants as well as some ones that we're finalizing with that were' tweaking the designs even before they would move in in August to the South Lake location, so they're definitely asking about it um, and so I, I think it's going to continue to evolve, but I do agree with what Tom said. It's going to it's going to ebb and flow and change, and we don't all know what the rules are going to be. But when I was talking to Lindsay at Corgan. Her whole her their concept was it's go, it's going to hit a hit these air pockets, and as a vaccine comes out or some other things, it will just continue to evolve over time.
5: Yeah. Hey, hey Bill, I, I would yeah. add uh, and that's a great point on the bare desk. VentureX X is. is working on a relationship with Fairdesk and Avery and, and looking at some of their new furniture. The other challenge from a co-working standpoint, to make drastic change to your design now, is their pro formas were built on those density levels and the underlying base rent they have. So that's a challenge for, for those that are in existing. As we move forward, and that's again why a lot of our guys are putting it on hold, if they can get what is 60, 70% of their operating costs, their rent down, now the new design can be a little less dense and they can perform out and make it still cash flow. But it's tough for those that are locked into leases that, that you know built the design at 14 per thousand, knowing you're never that dense of workers in their space, but you have that much revenue space to work with and, and you have an underlying rent, it's tough now to say we're gonna take a third of those seats out with that base rent that we're paying. It's tough to make that model work. I I don't like the reduced rent part of that
3: conversation. Yeah, I don't. I I
1: understand.
7: So, Tom, what's the break-even in the existing um, uh, leases, co-working leases, and then what would be the break-even in the new? I mean, how much is rent going to drop to be able to set up a different break-even?
5: Well, I think you're... It's a good, very good question. So I think your break even will will stay the same. It will be that you 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 have less density, so your revenue is less. So so but if your operating expense goes down too, your break even still stays the same if they go proportionally down. So right now, for most of ours, their break even is about 65-70% uh occupancy level.
7: And and how much of your operating expenses
5: rent? about sixty percent
1: so then if you spread out then your your break evens gonna got to go up to in the 70s or higher on a percentage basis if rent doesn't change
5: if rent doesn't change yeah 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 my move. but then, but then then you deal with two is is what is the going price of a two-person desk does that go down um, Frankly, for, for those co-working companies that will survive COVID, because there will be a thinning of the herd. It's just like every other asset class or those that are undercapitalized or aren't going to make it through it. Most models will show you that it's very difficult to challenge to make money if you're less than 15,000 feet in co work It doesn't give you enough revenue space because your program is going to stay the same of your your lounge and your conference rooms. That program, which is going to be you know, 30% of the space is, is going to stay the same whether you're in 10,000 feet or 30,000 feet. Uh, or that, that 6,000 feet, that goes to non-revenue space. So you got to have enough revenue space to make it work. And, and it's, it's tough to do that with less than 15,000. Feet. And those guys won't make it, they'll, they'll get wiped out.
8: Any other questions at to Tom? Hey Tom, just one more. So you that whole shift that Industrious and everybody went to, where it was more of a management deal, and they weren't actually signing a lease with all these asset owners. Versus VentureX is obviously signing leases, and you've got a franchisor. Do you see a shift in that, or you have any? Have you all thought about how that's going to continue to evolve over time? Because it seemed like Industrious and all them shifted and pivoted to trying not to, to really be not on the hook for leases and put all the risk back on these building
5: owners? Yeah, it, well, it's a great question. Honestly, I believe what drove that is outside of Regis, Spaces, IWG, and WeWork at the time because of SoftBank, everybody else didn't have enough capital to really grow as rapidly as meeting the demand that, that we saw there. And again, real quickly on demand, in, in the US, we're about 3% of our office space is flexible workspace. If you compare to London, it's 15%. And most people think we should be at 10 or 15% in the next 10 years. So for the demand has been exponentially growing. It's been growing rapidly with enterprise users. Um, but to your question is, so, so a lot of operators wanted to grow and meet that demand, but they didn't have the capital. So they were gonna do these uh, uh, partnership agreements with, with landlords. Um We do think venturex is uniquely uh, uh situated because I still think most landlords would prefer not to they would i mean bill and the other landlords on here could say most of them would still want to create value in their asset with a long term ten year lease, but it has to be underwritten well and and that's also a challenge in this industry uh, but but you know with the franchise model, which is brand new to me uh learning because i've you know I've been in office my whole time my whole life um I've seen, especially going through COVID, some tremendous benefits to landlords and to us, obviously, to be able to weather the storm easier than somebody who has one single capital stack that's getting knocked out across all of its portfolio. We're isolated individual locations who have all gotten the SBA money. They're getting band-aided. They're getting funded through and, uh, you know, able to sign long-term leases. Anything else?
3: Tom?
7: I um, one it. more question, if I could. Um, yeah. Do you see any nibbling at the edges from people like us in apartments where we're now building in co-working spaces that are more uh, of consequence or potentially from the hotel industry where, um, you know, if a corporation, if a hotel system has a good set of co-working spaces, Uh, the corporations don't need to be renting them you know from industrious or you guys or you know any of these yeah
5: no it's a great question you know we've been approached by apartment users we're now getting a lot of retail developers approaching us obviously uh and, and and some hotel operators we have one in chicago um Nibbling at the edges, maybe. I, I don't know. Most of those that I've seen, they're not like, you know, big twenty-five, 30,000-foot spaces. They're smaller. They're not built on a revenue model. To me, they really seem to be either built as an amenity to that asset, whether it be the apartment or the hotel. So I just think that's a different user. Um, I'm not sure how much they even charge people, put anything to use that space. Um, I still think there's plenty of demand out there just in the corporate world for flexible office space. I do think there needed to be some thinning out of the competitors, which will happen through this process. Tom, so
3: um, thanks. appreciate it. You bet. Um, now for some good news, Mike. Um, uh,
1: maybe just, you know, kind of what the, the theory here is, is what you were seeing on on companies looking to come to the Metroplex or Dallas area, pre-COVID, post-COVID, kind of what you're seeing would
4: be wonderful. Yeah, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Linda. Thank you too. And many friends uh, of the chamber on this call. It's nice to see you all. I I want to hunt. Uh, I'm going crazy as well with Zooms and Microsoft Teams. Uh, I want to be out in California in places we need to be to keep that momentum going. And we will get back there. We think of 2019, uh, this region was a national champion. In fact, it was our third straight year to be a national champion in terms of job growth, corporate gains. We had 128,000 net jobs in 2019. You know, you'd had to combine Chicago, Austin, Texas, Nashville, Tennessee, and Denver, Colorado, combine their net job gain. And you still come a little bit short of what we had as one region. We'd have been the fourth largest state in job uh, job gains if we were a state. The projects in our pipeline uh, were very strong. Fortune five hundred headquarters relo. It, and here's something that I think you'll you'll really enjoy. You know, in November 2018, Amazon said we're going to go New York. We're going to go DC. Twenty five thousand jobs each. So if we'd have been a player in that and won a piece of that, won those twenty five thousand jobs. That would have been, you know, that would have been fantastic. But we were on pace by the end of this year to have won 25,000 high-end corporate jobs in projects like Allstate, Microsoft, USAA, Infosys, Uber, all of those. So we we're on a tremendous pace and really a, a sort of a national champion caliber region. And we all know that and appreciate it. And you're a big reason why we are able to do that. Uh, right now... We're tracking about 70 total projects on our book now. That's early data stuff. That's uh, projects that were, you know, close to announcing right before uh, a, a COVID. In fact, we had two press releases done uh, that that had to be uh, put on on the shelf. Uh, we have picked up 17 projects since March 13th. Uh, that's sort of our marker for when COVID really kind of sunk in and 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 caused a lot of folks to hit the break. 17 projects. Most of those are manufacturing and industrial logistics projects. A couple of those are big offices. We hosted the week of May 11th, had, did our best to have a virtual tour for a what we believe to be a biopharma, sort of an HQ2 project for a major biopharma. Uh, and, and so we're seeing activity that uh, is not as robust. It is not as frequent. And a lot of those 70 projects, again, you're 50 Was it 53 of those were on our books prior to March 13th, and many of those have paused. Uh, They're not lost. They're not over. They're just paused. And I'm sure that paused includes rethinking uh, configurations, rethinking a lot of things. And some of them may fall off, and we'll pick up a bunch more as companies uh, fire back up. I think you know we've got a Fortune 500 headquarters reload that should get more active uh, this month, and we've seen some big distribution. facility. So I'm optimistic about a big rush. And some of the reasons I'm optimistic, uh, some of them are pretty simple. We're still Dallas-Fort Worth, you know, and we're still Texas. So we still hold this basket of location advantages that we had and were exercising very uh, briskly four or five months ago is still there. And we may have picked up some advantages in the last few months. You know, it d- depends on what everybody's reaction to density is. You know, density is one thing, but there's a lot of technology to help overcome that. And I, I agree with what was said earlier about, you know, New York's probably going to return to be a lot like what New York was, right? Because you can you can impact and affect density and move people around different use technologies. So I'm not sure there's going to be this huge run from density uh, that we are hearing, just a mass out migration. I'm sure it'll have some impact. But nevertheless, this region, we're big, we're the fourth largest market in the country, but we have optionality for companies that are sensitive to density right now. You can be as dense as you want to be in our region, but you can also spread it out a little bit if that's what you want to do. So we've got nimbleness and flexibility around that. And of course, the real estate community makes that that possible. You have noticed our brand as a region has elevated with tech. You know, what Mark Zuckerberg came out and said, You know, several days ago, that hey, you know, we're gonna, we're looking for top tech markets in the country. We're gonna look at Dallas, Atlanta, and Denver, and we're gonna do some remote hiring, and maybe that will lead to a physical space down the near term. That's fantastic. You know, we've worked hard as a region, as a chamber, with all of our partners to get DFW top of mind when it comes to tech companies, you know, high end, the the unicorns, the big stuff. They create thousands and thousands of jobs, and for Mark Zuckerberg to come out, do his research and realize Dallas is one of those places. Would that have happened five years ago? Would he have said that 10 years ago? I'm not sure that he would have. So that we've got the advantage of our our tech brand has continued to blossom. And I think it's going to get even stronger. You know, Amazon sort of did the same thing. They came back here for their hiring fair. Uh, You know, some of these states that are source markets for us are tremendously fiscally challenged. I think I saw the other day where California's looking at a $54 billion budget deficit. We're not gonna escape that, there's no doubt about it. Texas and and Dallas, any city that in this state is going to be hit hard, but $54 billion, our whole state budget for one year is is about $125 billion. So there are going to be companies that are gonna say, you know, we need just a a better sanctuary type of location for the long term, and it's gonna continue to drive stuff out of California. And so I think we'll be very, very busy. As soon as I can get on a plane out to California and get some meetings, I will be out there. And another thing I think we will see, Texas through all of this, uh, You know, I think the brand of Texas has also elevated and the brand of our region with that as, uh, as effectively dealing with this crisis is once again, there's Texas sort of leading the pack and doing smart things, being business friendly. That's gonna benefit us. I do expect, by the way, for Europe, Team members that look for leads and everything. Of course, we do some of that. But the state of Texas is going to get a lot more calls from companies. So I think we will see as a chamber a lot more deals coming to us from the office of the governor uh, than before. We keep relationships up with site selection consultants. In fact, the, the first rush will be in a lot largely industrial as manufacturers and distribution uh, uh, operations look to kind of respond to, to, to reshoring and expansion. Uh, we'll, we'll see what that turns out. You know, we're strong there, but so are a lot of other places in the country. You know, I'd rather see a big rush for headquarters relocations and major offices because that's really our uh, our our strong suit. There's a lot more competition when it comes to industrial. Uh, the site consultants that, that we know well, about three-fourths of them think that the the work from home. Uh, there's some permanence to that, uh, and I also agree. You know, that we'll see. I don't like new normal either. I think we'll be a lot more normal in the future, depending on science and other things. Uh, but there, there will be some impacts. And I love the ecosystem comment earlier. I agree. Uh, I agree with that. Some of the things, you know, that will keep me up at night. I did a list of those a couple of months ago. Things for the chamber to think about, for me to think about in terms of future economic development success. I've got five. I'll share them very, very briefly. One thing I'm concerned about is our air transportation superiority. All right. There is no doubt that the success of Dallas Fort Worth International Airport, the success of Southwest Airlines, and the success of American Airlines is hypercritical to our success going forward. Uh, we've built on them. We've built on that strength. It adds. You all know what that adds to our ability to recruit corporations and, and get people and exchange cultures and, and have events and all that stuff here. The, those three, and I don't. I don't mean to leave out Love feel. But those three in particular are so critical to our, we've got to get them through this and they've got to make it through this. We're going to keep our our strengths as we know them. Small businesses deserve a lot of attention, but you know what? I think this is a time to pay a little bit more attention to the retention and support of our major companies, our major headquarters, our major employers. They're important too. When you think back in history to towns that sort of uh, took a downturn, it was usually when that one big employer had a, had a slowdown or was shut down or, you know, whatever happened to that, that town, usually it's a result of impacts on the big side, not necessarily a loss of some small business. It's all important. Uh, and right now, small businesses deserve our focus, but so do our major employers. Uh, it's time to refresh our corporate targets. We're going to be doing that as a chamber. We know what does this environment, maybe the de-stressing of the talent issue a little bit, Maybe the de-stressing of, de-stressing of our accelerated costs that we've seen over the last couple of years as we've risen in success and prosperity costs have gone up. So other markets, uh, maybe we're a little bit more attractive to, to some of our projects, but to reassess corporate targets right now for recruitment is important to us. And then a couple of other things uh, that I really believe are just opportune times, uh, education. The more we can have the ability to invest and be innovative and flexible in education right now will bear fruit, uh, not only for this year, but the coming years, and we'll we'll do a lot to determine uh, our economic development success five or 10 years from now. So right now is a great time to invest in education. It's difficult, but uh, but our talent, our young people need it, and we can emerge with a a brighter shining star if we're able to figure that out. And then the last thing, and I'll be quiet, is uh, regionalism. You know, we're a regional chamber. We work with all the communities uh, in this region on corporate deals and we market together and we do things together. We, we, we stay knitted together in, in friendship and cooperation, uh, maybe like a pack of lions. You know, eventually there's, there's, a, there's prey on the ground and even the lions argue over who gets the leg. But they hunt together and we do that. And I think as our region grows and expands physically you know, we're pushing 8 million people now. It's going to get harder and harder to uh, maintain that regional spirit. I think that's true in economic development. And so that's, uh, that's also something that keeps me, uh, keeps me on my toes. And, and that'll be a challenge for us as we go forward if we want to continue to win. Uh, so that's just some of my thoughts. Very, very rapid fire. I apologize for that. But thank you all for your support uh, and everything you do to make uh, economic development corporate recruitment possible uh, in this region. We appreciate you. Mike,
1: do you see any, a lot of people are talking about maybe the move to the suburbs where people aren't going to want to be downtown or uptown. They're going to want to spread out and have more uh, suburban type offices. Are are the people that are inquiring about Dallas changing their view of
4: where they want to be? Or is it pretty much? Not yet. Not yet. I mean, we just haven't seen it. Again, we haven't seen a lot of recasting. Uh, you know, we are fortunate to get uh, a good mix of, uh, of of all types. You know, we get this, the the campus; uh, those that want a campus. We get the debt. We get those that want to attract the young people and the urban talent and want to go vertical and want to go dense. Uh, but no, I have not seen anything yet uh, that, that that makes me comfortable about it suggesting there's been a shift there. I think a lot of these projects that we work with are. Maybe going back to the drawing board a little bit uh, and rethinking, and they're just trying to figure out what their employees want. But no, not no fundamental. And that was said earlier uh, too, mentioned a couple of times. No fundamental sort of absolute trends have uh, have shown for us. Even talking to the site consultants, you know they they all think that the density is going to be a big issue, but they can't really demonstrate how and why, and they really can't you know give uh, give examples at least. A, where we have a lot of statistical confidence in those examples of that happening just yet. Uh, But again, the the strength of this region is you can go any way you want to go. You can have a campus in downtown Dallas if you want to uh, even, right? So I love that flexibility. And I also love, in addition to the real estate community, which is the best in the country, we've got, you know, the, the architecture and design community, the construction community here is second to none. Uh, So if there's any place that's going to figure it out and deliver product, You know, it's going to be us and and we'll do it in a cost effective way and we'll play all of our other advantages in. So I can't help but be even though I want to get on an airplane and go hunt, can't do that like like we used to do a few months ago. Uh, I'm very optimistic. Any questions from the group?
3: So, Mike, uh, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. Uh, And um, it became really clear to me when we had. Dale Petrosky speak to our young professionals last week uh, that there is an increased interest in in Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, Is there any difference between the prospects you had before COVID and the prospects that have surfaced since COVID? Um, Any kind of metric that you could point out that's something that we could?
4: Yes, yes. And of the 17 projects that have generated since COVID, most are industrial in nature. And the site consultants ago would have predicted that, uh, just a more quicker response and more of an urgency around those. Uh, but no, the mix overall is, uh, is, is, is still pretty typical. Uh but p- Prior to COVID, we had 10 headquarters. Uh, we've picked up two major office projects since March 13th and have several other corporate office projects. So it's nominal, what we're seeing. And the volume is nominal, too. I remember compiling some numbers for our DRC 2020 annual report. We were doing those at the end of 2019 and we had 68 total projects of, of all stripes uh, in, our, in our book uh, of business. Now, most of you know this, but some may not. We're focused on the net new to the region. So you're not going to see the DRC. We might accidentally be pulled into something for a while, not realizing, but we're not intra-regional. So we're, those 68 or 70 projects are all net new to the region, but we're 70 now from 68 at the end of 2019. So activity is brisk and I just think our region's brand and the desire for companies wanna be in Texas and have all the amenities you've got here, but at a more effective price point is is very compelling and will be more so uh, in the coming
3: month. Any other questions? Mike, I appreciate your time. Good to be on, thank you. Well, we're going to finish two minutes
1: early, which is awesome. I appreciate everybody being involved. If you have any thoughts on topics for this call, for the, for the one from two weeks from today, I got a great uh, suggestion from Lucy that we're, and from Craig that we're going to work on. Uh, we want to keep this relevant. And uh, when it stops being relevant, we'll stop doing it. But I um, appreciate it. And uh, everybody have a great day.
0: Thanks, everyone. Thank you.: uh, Hey, thanks a lot. Good job, Bill. That's it for today's show. I'd like to thank the executives who joined the conversation and shared their insight, as well as Dave Johnson, Tom Sutherland and Mike Rosa for their updates. Make sure you subscribe to the show and follow a track on social media if you haven't already. Once again, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.